This episode is sponsored by Kangaroo Jack Fitness, personal training that goes above and beyond to get the best results for you. Welcome to this episode of the Game Time Podcast. As usual, it's our Premier League review episode, but it's been no normal weekend in sport, unfortunately. Five people, including the Leicester City owner, Vishishvad Hanaprabha, lost their lives in a terrible helicopter crash on Saturday. Um, tributes have been pouring out all over Twitter, um, at the stadium as well. There was tributes from players, fans, um, a lot of flowers and reef laying as well. It's been a difficult weekend um, and our thoughts, all of us here, including Tom and Alan, who aren't on the pod today, go to their families and any family that's been affected by it. Ryan, I know you work in, in Leicester and around Leicestershire. What, what's the mood been like? Um, yeah, yeah. It's not been sort of like particularly um, particularly like joyful the last couple of days. I mean, um, the where, particularly where I work, um, there's sort of we have a lot of dealing to do with um, sort of like the less some of the Leicester City Youth Academy players, um, and um, you can sort of like say a lot of people have been sort of visibly and sort of like um, mentally sort of shaken by what's happened. Really, um, knowing as well, I've got sort of like um, people, my my girlfriend's brother and dad, they they've season ticket holders at Leicester as well, and I know a few other season ticket holders at Leicester, and they've got like nothing but sort of like nice things to say about about the chairman and, and the sort of like the stuff they used to do for, he used to do for the club, not only on like the financial side of it, but just like little touches like um, offering them free beer and free food and stuff at games. So yeah, like I say, it's been, it's been pretty rough last couple of days, but it's like the book of condolence was started today. And like I say, hopefully people can start to sort of um, get a sort of like a perspective of what happened really. And, and sort of like um, try to come to terms with it. But yeah, it's been, it's been a pretty, pretty rough couple of days. Yeah, it's been, it's been a difficult time for for not just Leicester, all all of the football family. And again, like I said before, all of our thoughts and prayers go out to those that were affected. And of course, as well, a speedy recovery to Glenn Hoddle, who suffered a heart attack whilst in the BT Sports Studios at the weekend. So from all of us here again, to everyone affected by the helicopter crash and Glenn Hoddle, our thoughts and prayers go out to them. But football did happen this weekend, so we will carry on talking about it. And we'll start it off with the Monday evening game between City and Spurs. Basically the highlight game of the weekend. It didn't really disappoint, but it was an, an interesting game for more reasons than one. Riyad Mahrez, the only man with the goal in what can only be described as a classic Manchester City goal, with the other winger tapping it in, being assisted by the opposite winger. Ryan, I'm sure you've got a lot of things to say about this. What did you feel about the game? Um, well, first of all, you said about the um, you said it being a classic Man City goal. That's also a classic goal that we have now like getting into the habit of conceding as well, which is really <laughs> irritating. Um, pretty deflating, to be honest, for several reasons. Um, first of all, I thought City were quite poor in terms of how they went and how they played. Um, obviously, they're not going to be sort of like 100 percent every game. But it did feel a bit like uh, they were coming to Tottenham 
and defending a 1-0 lead in the Champions League. There was a lot of sort of like little bitty fouls and stuff and sort of like they didn't take their chances as well as they should have done. There's a lot of, like I say, sort of, it was almost like playing like a sort of a, a foreign team in the in the Champions League. Like they were just trying to break the play up as much as possible. And obviously they got the win, but yeah, we just didn't play very well. Um, had chances at the end, but it was just one of those games. It's, it's just nothing... Nothing positive to say about it, really. Like I say, I'm a bit deflated about it, really. You mentioned City not taking their chances. But then again, Lamella had a really good chance. Probably should have scored it. But do you think the pitch played a big factor in him missing that chance? Yeah, I think so. Like, watching it back, obviously, he's not the most sort of confident finisher. Like, he can sometimes pull out, like, the goal when he scored, like, the Rabona goal, which is still, like, really mental to think about even now. But he he's always been a bit sort of an inconsistent finisher. But... Yeah, I think the problem with the game, like I say, it's very hard to get sort of up and talk about it because I felt like that game last night, and I sort of mentioned this in the sort of the the little briefing thing we have before, I felt like that game had, it was sort of like in summed up what for me is everything that's sort of wrong with football at the minute in terms of it was played on a Monday night. It was in front of a pretty much half full Wembley played on a pitch that, like I say, resembled more of a an NFL game than anything. And it just sort of like shows how even though Spurs are sort of like considered to be a decent team, how far we are away from Man City in terms of quality. Like they turned up, played very, very averagely and still beat us 1-0 and still look quite comfortable. And it's just a bit sort of disheartening to see that. And like I say, it's it's really sort of, it's really quite annoying when you sort of see, um, you see these sort of things happening and there's nothing really you can do about it. So still a bit sort of like down about it, to be honest, as you can probably tell. If we look at Manchester City, they haven't conceded a Premier League goal since the 1st of September. That was against Newcastle. Six clean sheets on the bounce and no Premier League forward or midfielder has scored past them this season. Tim, to what extent do you think this team could possibly be one of the greatest we've seen in the Premier League era? I mean, they were already considered pretty great after last season's title win. Um, like people were comparing to them, the Invincibles and the United treble winning team into Chelsea's uh, title winning team. Like, and people, I mean, even you yourself said, I think they would win. Um, but they're just proving it even more now how genuinely brilliant they are. I think um, Guardiola, Guardiola has managed them fantastically well. They've got a really, they've got an even bigger squad than um, last year and with even more talent and they're all getting game time they're all performing superbly so you know I think they're already there but if they continue like this they will genuinely be considered the best Premier League team ever I think um, and they're the results are showing it I mean this season might be really close we've got three teams that haven't been defeated yet uh, Chelsea, Liverpool and City themselves but um, I think when it comes down to it in the long term the City team will be seen as just unbelievable and you mentioned Pep Guardiola to what extent do you think that's been his doing I mean we know how good of a manager he is just by looking at his time at Barcelona Bayern Munich and then City but to what extent do you think that is his doing I mean I think there's two two main things about it really one I just mentioned about him sort of managing the squad getting players game time uh, rotating uh, and sort of using this style of play that suits, the, and you know, getting everyone involved in this sort of style of play that Guardiola is famous for. But I think the other is his um, ability to like improve individuals. So Raheem Sterling, who he obviously made like a fifty million pound switch from Liverpool several years ago, 
never really, he didn't hit the ground running. He didn't show quite how capable he was. Guardiola comes in and he looks like a different player. He's improved him so, so much. Um, De Bruyne, admittedly, was already sort of proving himself in Germany. But again, he's just ramped it up to another level. So I think Guardiola's ability to sort of improve, improve individual players, which obviously benefit the team massively, is so, so important. Um, from a business aspect as well, it's really important that he can sort of like add value to these players because they can come in for a small transfer fee and then he can probably sell them on for a huge amount more money. So, you know, from an owner's perspective, that's probably a really great thing as well. Um, but yeah, it really helps develop the team and just bring these superstars through. And it means that he's got, you know, massive squad depth so that he can rotate and implement his style of play. So I think he's done so, so well. I don't think it can be uh, understated what a change he's made to Man City. Yeah, I mentioned selling players. I mean, he managed to get, what, 10 million out of Aaron Moy, never having played a game for the club. I think a similar amount of money for Jadon Sancho, although he's absolutely balling in the Bundesliga at the moment. But if we look at Poch, because I think a lot of people would probably agree that Poch is another manager that does so well to get the best out of his players, especially young players. Looking at what he did at Southampton and what he's done at Spurs in terms of bringing in young players and making them pretty much top quality Premier League players. He's right up there with the best managers in the league. But do you think he's still treading that line of a world-class manager? Yeah. <laughs> Short answer. Um, yeah, he's he's getting better over uh, every year. Really, like he seems to be beating um, certain criticisms that are led his way. Um, especially, like I say, the first year he was at Tottenham, it's like whether he could cope with being a so-called like bigger team than Southampton. Then the year after, it was like, can he sustain like a, a sort of like a title challenge when we were sort of like going up against Leicester? Um, then the year after, it was like, well, can he? Um, cut it in the Champions League and then last year I think it showed like after we topped the group with Real Madrid and Dortmund in it it shows that he can um, and then but I'd, I don't know I'd like to say I'd, it's probably the, the worst day to ask me the day after the City game but um, I do feel like that he's still a couple of years off I mean he'd be I think personally not that he's been sort of like linked with it yet but if he was to leave for like Real Madrid I think it'd be come a bit too soon for him He's, he's getting there, but he's not there yet. I mean, there's some stuff he does in games. Sometimes you think really, like, in terms of, like, substitutions and just, like, general game management, you think that's probably not the best thing for it. And then it gets sort of shown up. And he can be a bit naive, I think, sometimes in in these games. Um, but, yeah, just, just, just leaning on to what you said about, like, um, Guardiola, I, th- I think that um, the problem is, like I say, whenever we play, it just makes what we're doing so feel like so inadequate to what they're already doing at, um, at Man City. Like I say, they, they have a re- relatively off game. They were really poor from my, like in my opinion yesterday and they still managed to look way better than us. And it's like, one of those things, it's like, well, why bother? <laughs> um, and it's like I say, it's just, it does, it does sometimes come across. You think like, well, there's just no way you can compete with it. Like you might get like a one-off game, like the last, the game last year with where, when Wigan beat them in the cup. And like when, and that was like seen as a really big shock, and it was. But like, they're just they're just too good, <laughs> and they're they're definitely they're definitely on the way to being, if not already. I think they've had the best individual season of any Premiership team I've ever seen last year. I think that was better than the Invincibles, personally, in my opinion. But that's obviously like a debate for another time. But yeah, like I say, it just makes you feel a bit inadequate. Yeah, we all know what it's like to feel inadequate. Man United, we did so well, and then just recently have not felt up to the task against Manchester City and 
we won't talk about the sixth one. But like you said about like say like feeling adequate in comparison to Man City, mm. um, the problem I find it's a bit of a sort of like a problem with me to sort of try and reconcile this because I always see City as like uh, as in all the all the other top teams they're like the force for good in my eyes in terms of not because of like the um, should we say questionable sort of way they've got their money and like the that's again that's another debate but it's in terms of like they're the only other sort of like top team I don't really hate that much because they the fans are sort of seem to be I don't know. The fans seem to have gone through a lot of what um, a lot of hardship in terms of like they saw their team down to like League One about twenty years ago, and they're genuinely considered like a bit of a poor relation towards Man United over the last few years. And um, so now, like I say, they're, they're sort of like overtaking us and becoming really, really like sort of top level. It is sort of a bit like I say, it's, it's still nice because it's the only time, only club I don't really have any animosity towards in the top six, but uh, it's still a bit like oh. They used to be like us, <laughs> and now where they and now look where they are, and look where sort of we we've seemed to have hit a ceiling in terms of with the stadium and like with the um, just in general. And like I said, I'm really looking forward to um, the first round of the FA Cup coming back because that'll be like proper football. Whereas like last night, it just seemed like a bit of a joke. Like I say, like the stadium it was in, the atmosphere, like the uh, it just seemed all wrong in my opinion. So I'm looking forward to some. Um, like sort of non-league football in two weeks' time. It's going to be great. Some tasty ties in that first round of the FA Cup. No doubt we'll go in depth on them on a podcast. You mentioned the atmosphere and you mentioned the pitch as well. You're not free from it yet. Obviously, the new stadium will be hosting two NFL games next year. What are your boys' thoughts on, on that? And do we think that that can only be a bad thing for Premier League football? I mean, after last night, I don't imagine that many Tottenham fans would be very pleased about that. Um, I mean, I mean, it's okay. No, we've got a um, we've got a retractable pitch. It's fine. They won't, they won't be playing on the actual pitch. Oh, have you got that's, per, that's been that's been what? Yeah, that's been woven into the thing. That's not a problem. Um, they have thought about that, which is good. Well, <laughs> like a, a rare moment of forward planning. That would be awful. <laughs> I mean, yeah, everyone saw how awful it was the pitch. Like it been trampled. Like the worst bit was it the bit they've been trampled by the subs. Like. It was shocking. Yeah. Um, the dugout, weren't it? Yeah, it was horrible. So, like, that's, I mean, it must be a massive like, worry saver that it's going to be a retractable pitch. But um, that's not an issue, though, because I think it'll only be good for the club to actually host, be hosting NFL games because it's uh, Whitehall Lane and Wembley are the um, two places the four matches are going to be held. So I think that's only a good thing if the pitch issue can be sorted. So from one North London side to another, and Arsenal's winning streak in the Premier League comes to an end in a kind of London derby at Palace. And to be honest, they probably got away with it a little bit, didn't they? Definitely. Should have had a th- like they were moaning about two penalties being given. Should have been a third one. If you saw that one on uh, Jordan Ayew, mm. um, he, he got clips, like he's just got his uh, heels clipped. And it's just a penalty. Yeah, and um, I'm sort of glad that, that runs uh, over. <laughs> sort of got, like, they started to creep out of the woodwork, the Arsenal fans again, after like two years or three years of being in hiding. And uh, it was- was not very pleasant to be honest. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I felt like Palace were good value for that actually. The, the draw, I watched the first half with um, a fair amount of intent um, on my phone, and then I thought they were really good. And then put it on the telly when they went 1 0 up, and then Arsenal came back into it. And so I blamed myself for putting it on the TV. <laughs> um, but no, I thought Palace played really well, considering, like I said, their limitations you probably see as a team um, and their injuries at the minute. They, they, I thought I was very impressed by them. You mentioned the penalties. I'm not sure which penalty was worse. The fact that Shrokdan Mustafi absolutely nails 
Czechoslovakia, which is a sentence that it was a lot harder to say than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> he absolutely nails him from like a prone position on the floor. Or Granite Xhaka just watching Zaha dance past him and then just, just kicking him in the shin as he goes past. <laughs> I feel like Xhaka's isn't really his fault. I mean, if you if Emery's going to play a, a CDM at left-back against probably the most enigmatic player in, and dribbler in the league, then you're going to expect him to just come up against him 1v1 at least five times a game. And that's going to happen. Xhaka's probably not the most disciplined player ever to play in the Premiership. So for him to be, like I say, put up against Zaha, who can just turn him inside out. I mean, they must have been laughing in that dressing room when Hodgson saw the team and thought, oh, Xhaka at left back. Oh, OK. <laughs> Wilfred Zaha, we, we said over the last few weeks that he hasn't really produced for Palace. He really did in this game. He was, he was really good. But in an almost double-edged sword kind of way, does that show that if Zaha isn't up to it, that Palace really, really struggle? I think so, because, I mean, Zaha's so hit or miss anyway. Um, but yeah, he's had sort of a little knock. But he's, if you look at the Crystal Palace team, there's not many players that look like they can produce flair and, you know, they can beat players, they're creative. Zaha is that one player that you look and think, he can do anything. But he's so inconsistent, because some days, namely always against Chelsea, so I'm looking forward to this weekend, um, he can light the pitch up and be the best player you've seen but sometimes he's just so quiet and it's I don't quite know what it is it's whether like he comes up against an individual individual defender that just handles him really well or it's a well-organized team and he can't play or sometimes he genuinely just isn't feeling it maybe he had a few too many beers the night before but (laughs) like he's literally he's so hit or miss and Palace you know they can look really good when he's playing because then everyone else sort of you know, bands around him. But when he's not, they do just look a little bit of a mess. And I think they have really struggled this season when he's not been on form or he's been a bit injured because they generally don't have many other um, threats or sort of sources of creation in their team. So he is, yeah, he's very important, um, but he just needs to be a bit more consistent. Yeah, you mentioned the injury concerns. Benteke has been out injured. And that's their focal striker, essentially. Connor Wickham and is it Sorloth? They haven't really stepped up too much. Andros Townsend has looked poor, to be honest. It has been a, a Zaha show for Palace. But on the plus side, when you have a man like Luka Milohojevic, who can just take set pieces for fun, unless they're against Everton, you get out of jail. And really nice to see him score both of those spot kicks, especially last week when he missed the chance to um, to give him a win over Everton. Fucking too, right? <laughs> Spoken like a man been, with him in his fantasy team. Been, been waiting for that for bloody about 11 weeks. <laughs> <laughs> like Even last year, he was getting some free kicks as well. Not this year. He's had, he not even had a sniff. And yeah, yeah, it was nice to see. Like I say, especially that, that one after, in all seriousness, that one after the Everton game. Obviously, like if that goes in, obviously that's a completely different game then. And they could win, like say one 0 or even at least get a draw. And then obviously like to get to come back and score two against Arsenal, especially one in the last ten minutes as well. It's a big confidence boost. Hopefully it will take it into next week as well. So I can smash um another week of the fantasy team and lose again. <laughs> Not good fortunes in the fantasy league. But I mean good fortunes for Palace because Incredibly, that was their first home goal in like 400 minutes, which, which, is, which is not good 
especially you can expect that away from home when you play a different style of football. But at home, you want to be thinking you're taking control of games. I don't think they suit that their their style of play suits that though. Um, I feel like they are very much like a team that will set up and play on the break, which is fair enough. Like I say, not every team can go around dominating possession or whatever, and not every team's set up to do that. So I feel like they're they're happy to sort of seed possession for a lot of the time, especially against like this, the sort of the bigger teams, shall you say, in the league. Um, but yeah, like I said, there's nothing wrong with that. In the same way, there's nothing wrong with playing uh, possession football. But I feel like it does suit them very well and they can play on the break. Like I said, I think they are a team suited to playing away from home uh, rather than at home, especially against like the, the so-called like teams that should be beating. I felt like that was exposed a bit in the Samson game when they lost 2-0 earlier in the year. Um, they sort of like didn't really know what to do because they were in theory, they're sort of like the more likely team to win. And I feel like they shook them up a bit because they are not used to being in that position. They prefer being the underdog. In a way, Arsenal was probably the best team to play against because they're a team that loves to have the ball all of the time. So, Hod- Exactly, yeah. It's a, it works It works in their favour, doesn't it? Hodgson absolutely licking his lips in the dressing room. I'm never saying that again. Oh, that, <laughs> no. that made me slightly shiver. What an image. Oh, not at all. If we look at the Arsenal side of things, as I mentioned, that would have been 12 wins in a row in all competitions had they won that match. But it's really weird. Stats kind of can be bent to what you want them to show. So saying that, I'm going to give you another stat. They're actually joint top alongside Fulham with the most errors leading to shots in the Premier League. So does it show that for all this attacking flair that they've got, there's still a real, shit. yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's that is confirmed. Yes, <laughs> but bluntly, is is that where they they're going to need to strengthen before they really make a, a push for the top four? Because, I mean, they are they are a top four side as as we currently speak because of that fantastic run. So, do you think they are just a defender off really challenging? If we'd been recording this podcast like six years ago, you'd have said the exact same thing. Like, how many times under Wenger were people mentioning that they need a good centre half and good defence and whatever? Um, like, it's just so crucial. They just they sign Socrates and he's just a bit crap and a bit old. Um, they need just like a really great centre half to sit there and organise their defence because. They they're just all over the place completely. Like they've got injury woes. Like they're missing players. Like they are a bit all over the place, and they just need a bit of structure. And admittedly, like everyone sort of jumped on Emery at the start of the season for um, not you know not getting the results they wanted. But it was quite a tough start of the season. They've shown that they can actually you know get results, and that's why they're in the top four now. But think how good they would be if they had like a really solid defence that actually committed to um, like to, to tackles and were really hardworking. Like everyone's seen those videos of like John Terry and admittedly Phil Jones, like diving to head the ball out of the way from under someone's feet. Like they would kill for a player like that right now. And they just don't, they don't have them. I think it's so, so important. Leading on from that, um, a couple of things. First of all, I'm pretty sure um, Mourinho would drive Phil Jones to the Emirates himself. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, so secondly of all, um, I, I take issue with like say you say about um, Arsenal needing one good defender to to make them a really good team because the way you, some of their fans go on about how good Koscielny is, they already have that person. Like you literally, you'll see him, they, some of them make out like he's the second coming of Paolo Maldini, and it's like <laughs> it's, just, it's just not it's just not the case, is it? 
Um, also, that you said about like sort of them being a top four team, I, I feel like just because they had maybe one off season last year, it, they never were ne- not a top four team. If you know what I mean? Then they've never had mm. like a significant period away. Um, and I feel like, yes, it's good that like it should not be taken away from the fact that I'm not here to denigrate the fact they won 11 games in a row. That's fair enough. Like even if maybe some people have been having a go saying oh, the quality of the opposition wasn't great. Um, but the whole point of the, where Arsenal have been going wrong over the last maybe decade is the problem is um, they don't win consistently against the teams around them. And that's where they lose their points. So it's all well and good. Like I said, they've been and saying like, okay, yeah, they put five past Fulham and they did really well and they beat Newcastle away from home or whatever. They, they've always done that. Forever, from what I can remember, every year, like every season, like they'll always pick up points. Apart from last year when they had a bit of that dodgy run away from home under Wenger, when he basically sort of like mentally checked out for the season, um, <laughs> he they always pick up team points against the sort of the lower teams in the division. But it's look, where they need to be improving is they need to be beating the teams in and around them. Like for example, Tottenham. They beat us last year, but then more often than not, I can't remember the last time they won at Tottenham. It's probably about four or five years ago, maybe, um, when Sherwood was in charge and we were quite bad. And like Liverpool, when was the last time they went to Anfield and got a, re- like a positive result? And it, that's, that's where their problem is. Their problem is going to these bigger teams and getting results. It's not, uh, not about beating Fulham at home. They've always done that really well. So I think they, they need to be, like I say, it's, it's, you, shouldn't be, you shouldn't be having a go at them for celebrating the fact they won 11 in a row, but they do need to be working out, okay, well, how do we take this form into the big games? I mean, they've got Liverpool next week. I can't see them getting a win out of that. And they're at home. No, that will... like, oh, Salah, Firmino and Mane, and they'll get torn apart because they're just not strong, strong enough in defence. They're not structurally good enough, and they literally will get completely trashed. Hmm. Exactly. So, like I say, like, it's all well and good saying, like I say, um, praising them for winning 11 in a row which I'm not, I'm not here to have a go at them for that. But they also then need to be taking that good, that, that good play and those good habits into the big games. Because otherwise, what, what you, if you're winning against 14 teams in the league but losing against the other five, you're always going to be sixth place in the table. That's just sort of like mathematics. <laughs> you know, that's going to be okay. Like if you're losing to the teams above you and dropping points, you're never going to bridge the gap. Yeah, a fair point. I think Ferguson was quite good at, absolutely spanking the bottom end of the teams and then just grinding out results against mm, yeah. the bigger teams. Not necessarily always winning those matches, but grinding out results. And I think that's where Arsenal have have been lacklustre over years under Wenger. If that will change under Emery, at the moment, it doesn't look so. They didn't play well against Chelsea and Manchester City at the beginning of the season. But then granted, those were his first two games in charge. So I think... Liverpool next week will be the real test for them because if they can come out of that with a positive result, maybe things will be different at the Emirates. In, in a way, things are different because they are scoring goals and probably for the first time in a while, they've got a striker that probably will bag 20 Premier League goals a season, if not more, in Aubameyang. He's joint top goal scorer in the league now with Hazard with seven goals. But, I mean, come on. And and this is not to, to bash on Arsenal in any way. But seriously, how that goal was allowed is honestly unbelievable. Yeah, I feel like um, 
I put something about this earlier. I put like, why do Arsenal always get these bollocks decisions? <laughs> and I feel like um, that is a bit of maybe confirmation bias on my part because obviously being a Tottenham fan and thinking you naturally look at all the times when the teams that you don't particularly like get lucky breaks. And I think I maybe put a bit more emphasis on when it happens to Arsenal, but it does seem to happen a lot with them. Like the odd offside goal here, like the Everton goal the other day when they played Everton, they were 1-0 up. Everton had played really well against them. They got a goal and then their second goal, Aubameyang was two yards offside and then the ref, it just counted. And then obviously you've got like the basically um, Lacazette punching the ball into the, or near enough into the goal. And then um, obviously it goes in by like nine millimetres, um, which is obviously like a fine margin anyway. But yeah, it does seem like they do get these decisions a lot. But I think that is me being a bit biased myself. I think you're right. But what annoys me the most is when uh, Arsenal fans sort of exhibit what I deem as Arsenal syndrome and genuinely believe that it was a goal and won't have, won't be told otherwise because it's so ingrained in them that they're right um, and that their player did it, which means that they must be right and Arsenal are the greatest team ever. It's what annoys me more than that, I think. <laughs> I, I, I get more annoyed, but I've seen I saw a couple of examples on Twitter where people people put on um, on Sunday well, after it went in they were like, oh um oh I love it when we score a, a dodgy goal and it's like you definitely don't because if that around you'd be like burning the referee's house down that's just not like, you say that oh oh yeah we I love it when we get a dodgy one go our way if that would happen in like say the if they were playing. So, for example, the tables are turned. So, Arsenal playing in Europe, or if they're in the Champions League, they, they're 2-1 up on aggregate. Like, um, or like um, it was 1-all at the time, so the Palace game. So, they're, they're drawing with Real Madrid, for example. Real Madrid get one where Modric just punches it into the goal or something like that. They'd be complaining about that for a decade. <laughs> and it's just like, you can't, you can't sit there and go, I love it when we get these decisions, because it just doesn't... It doesn't. Whenever it happens to Tottenham, I think, oh, we've got a dodgy one there, and that will come back to bite us later in the year. And usually, they do even themselves out but not with Arsenal. <laughs> no, that's... no, Arsenal syndrome is a disease and it needs to be stopped now. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, moving on. And a man who probably deserves a highlight reel, Glenn Bloody Murray. 100 goals for Brighton. How impressive is that for a man who's 35 years old? Oh, He's 30, 35. I thought he was 70. <laughs> I can't wait for him to lead the line at Euro 2020 with Billy Sharp. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be great. Ah, uh, he's just like he's got more goals than he's got hairs on his head. Um, it's ridiculous, but he, you know he does a job. He's that kind of striker. He just he you know he, he grinds out goals and he'll do whatever he can to get them. He does indeed. He, of course, we're going to be going on to talk about the Brighton Wolves game one nil to Brighton. Of course, Glenn Murray scored the only goal. That's three one nil wins in a row for Brighton. Fully steadied the ship now, and it it is a. It is sailing away in a very nice direction. They've beaten West Ham, Newcastle, and now Wolves, who have been really good. They're up to 11th, one place behind Wolves, who are in 10th. And Murray is now the top-scoring Englishman in the league. It's all going right for Brighton, no? Yeah, no, it really is. I mean, they ever since they got uh, promoted, they've always looked sort of on the fringe of um, sort of relegation. But whether it's Glenn Murray or just other players grinding out results, uh, especially this season. You know, they're up to 11th. They genuinely look really steady. Of course, it all can change with a few few bad results and a few other teams getting wins. But, like, you know, they're solidly mid-table now. All they need to do is, or they can start playing, you know, slightly more expansive football and not having to worry about sort of, like, sitting back and literally grinding out one-nils. But, 
I mean, honestly, honestly, don't think they looked as good as they did last season. Um, Pascal Gross hasn't been as good as he was last year by a mile. Um, but no, I just I think it can all change very quickly. And if um, you know Glenn Murray suddenly decides that he can't get up in the morning because his stairlift is broken, then they might struggle. But um, it really, you know, it really depends on on his fitness because he is so crucial to them. Um, and then just if they can, you know, keep grinding out results, or if other teams will sort of see through them a bit and start. Uh, you know, start putting goals past them. He's got 29 goals in 97 Premier League appearances. So it's fair to say the majority of his goals have come in lower leagues. I'd imagine Championship League One. In a way, does that show that he is just a classic poacher? Doesn't matter his age, doesn't matter what league he's playing in, the man can score goals. Yeah, and he's he's literally like a classic example of like an English either Championship or Premier League striker that does just sit in the box and score headers and tap-ins. But like, he can bully defenders. He's a big physical presence. Like, he's tall. He's good at finishing, no matter how slow he is. Um, and that's always worked in the Premier League. Like, no matter who you are, no matter what team you are, um, whether you're at the top of the table or the bottom of the table, having a big, often slow, but... Uh, clinical centre-forward wins you matches, even if you're not playing terribly well. Because um, all it takes is one cross or one long ball forward and uh, and you can win matches. So, you know, he's just, he's what they need right now. And I think a lot of teams can look at Brighton and go, oh, we're going to stop trying to be the C-grade Barcelona and actually just start playing, you know, classic English football. And they might, you know, grind out a few more results. C-grade Barcelona. I'm sure Brighton fans would take that as a massive positive. On the other side of things, Wolves, not a great result for them, you'd imagine, though towards the end of that game, they really peppered the Brighton goal with a lot of shots. Matty Ryan, again, just he's performing really, really well. And good sign, a good, A good staple fantasy goalkeeper. He's cheap and he keeps clean sheets. Um, for Wolves, that's their second loss in a row, though, after they went 2-0 down to Watford. Do we think this fairy tale, they are one of the best teams to get promoted, is coming to an end or is it just a blip? Uh, I honestly don't know if it's if it's going to come to that or not. Like They're still 10th, you know, they're doing well. Um, points, still a point ahead of Brighton. Um, and, you know, they've got the squad to to continue. But all the positives we were saying about them at the start of the season, like Neves and Moutinho in midfield, um, sort of their wing-backs, playing really well, you know, playing... Fast, quick football. It's not quite as sort of apparent as it was uh, about six, seven weeks ago. But um, you know they're still doing well. Like they're tenth. They're two places behind Man United. Um, I mean that's more of a tell on Man United's performance than Wolves's. But uh, it's still it's still early on in the season. They've still got all the time in the world to sort of pick up their form and uh, and continue. And they definitely have the ability to beat teams. Um, and they will, even if they, they start conceding a few, they have the ability to score as well. So I wouldn't say no just yet. I, I think they're they're perfectly fine at the minute. Um, I've not seen them play badly once this year in the highlights I've seen, even when they've got beaten. You look at the Leicester game at the start of the year, they, they played really well, um, hit the bar and hit the post, I believe, or they had a couple of really, really clear-cut chances. And like I said, speaking to like Leicester fans I know, they said that they are probably one of the best teams to come to Leicester this year that they've seen, like the travelling teams. And obviously, like the Watford game, that was a little bit of a 
Um, like I say, hit, being hit with two goals in two minutes, or it sort of took the wind out of their sails, and then they, but they still had chances. And even the Brighton game, like you said, they they dominated Brighton towards the end of that game, and were very unlucky not to get a point. And I feel like that, yes, they're not going to win every week, but I feel like they they're the only team I've seen this season in terms of like teams I've seen in the Premiership that have not uh, that have played well in every game I've seen. Because even Man City, I say Man City wouldn't, didn't play at all well last night, but they still won, obviously. But I've not seen Wolves play and ha- like play what I'd call like an absolute shocker of a game so far, and I feel like that that is testament to the job that uh, Nuno is doing. And I feel like they, like I said, they're not gonna they're not gonna probably be challenging for Europe, but they're doing really really well. Like it's very easy to forget they've just come up from the Championship, even mm. with all the money they've spent. But yeah, like I said, I'm not I'm yet to see them play badly, which is a, a real token to their, what they're trying to do with the football. On a scale of one to ten, how badly do you want them to play this weekend? Though, bearing in mind they face top. Um, yeah, I want them to have an absolute shocker and score three own goals. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, like I said, I'm expecting. Um, well, there's no easy games in the Premiership anyway. It's very easy to say that, but um, play Southampton. Uh, well, yeah, we'll come on to that in a minute or Newcastle. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but even even like let's like, say you joke about that, but like Newcastle gave us a pretty good going over on the first day of the season, and um, Wolves Wolves that is going to be a difficult game on, on Saturday night, and then we play Palace again away from home. I think in about two weeks' time, maybe three weeks' time. That's also on TV. That's going to be difficult watching them the way they equip themselves um, against Arsenal. So no easy games coming up at all for us. No, as you said, no easy games whatsoever in the Premier League. And on that note, we're going to rattle through the rest of them. Southampton, Newcastle, nil-nil. Neither team can finish. Uh, Well, aha, yes. I was going to say, I'm sorry to jib in on that. Um, Alan Partridge over there. (laughs) This is um, this is both teams' seasons in a microcosm in this game, which I love. You know, like when an overarching theme develops over 90 minutes. And you can see that both of or the teams... Both look, shit. Well, it, well a, bit, a bit more in-depth than that, Timothy. Um, <laughs> um, the, the fact that um, if you look at the statistics, I'll put it on again, put it on like the shared the shared thing we, we talk about before. Um, Southampton having 23 shots um, and four on target throughout the whole game, um, which is what we talked about last week. You know, I said about they're, they're the third highest chances created team in the Premiership statistic they're still keeping they're still getting the chances in they just can't finish them at all so again that sort of, sort of like shows what their problems are this year and then Newcastle um, having no shots on target for the whole game um, <laughs> generally being quite poor um, so yeah, it's one of those things like it sums up both it was really nice it was as like a sort of a um, a summer a summative game it shows all of Samson's problems and all of Newcastle's problems in one game Samson can't finish Newcastle can't create chances there you go 90 minutes nil nil <laughs> you literally summed up really... perfectly you were short in brackets <laughs> Southampton have finishing issues Newcastle have being shit issues yeah I mean like, Samson's issues can be remedied because you can always just take them out on the training uh, pitch Newcastle's they need uh, a lifeboat I think at this point um <laughs> But yeah, like I say, it's just, it's just, I like, I like that when, when both teams can be neatly summed up in one um, version of a game, which was what we saw on Saturday. Which is, so I thought that I got a bit of special mention. I didn't want to just skip over that one. Danny, can I just take you back to uh, what about maybe five weeks ago now, when on uh, the first round of unpopular opinions, when we just created the segment, you said that Newcastle could win the Premier League in the next few years. I said. Quote me right, Tim. I said if Rafa Benitez was backed 
financially that Newcastle could win the Premier League in a few years. Also, and I stand by that. Also, if my uncle had tits, she'd be my auntie. <laughs> <laughs> I, sta- I, stand, I stand by that. Moving on from that one, Man United beat Everton two goals to one. And literally the only thing anyone wants to talk about from that one is Pogba's run-up. Though I did find it quite funny that it took him longer to run up and take that penalty than it did for Usain Bolt to run the 100 metres. No, did it actually? It did, yeah. Oh, my God. He took 28 steps. Oh, for fuck's sake. You can do it in two. I was so, yeah. I was so keen for him to miss it. And then <laughs> he did. One, because it brought back memories of the Columbia penalty shootout with Pitford. And, but then when it went in, I was like, no, nah, OK. <laughs> uh, not, not again. Everton made it a little bit nervy towards the end, but to be honest, two-one probably flatters Everton because they were pretty poor and only got into it from silly play from Pogba giving the ball away in midfield, and then Chris Smalling for no apparent reason just cleaning Richarlison out in the box and going off injured with a uh, grazed knee as well, which is great. <laughs> he got injured taking out Richarlison, and then just he was like, "No, that's me done, boys. I'll see you tomorrow." Oh, grazed knee is the most annoying football manager injury. Just, what, what are you doing, mate? Just stay on the pitch. I do I do have a bit of a... Again, I mentioned this the other week when Everton played away at Arsenal. I feel like Everton have a bit of a mental block in terms of when they go to these teams, whether they, they don't believe that they can win against teams like uh, United at Old Trafford. Like, they played OK against uh, Arsenal, had a couple of chances. Petacek was on good form, and then they end up losing 2-0. Um, albeit from, like we said earlier, from one goal being offside. And it was like the same thing with United. Uh, they went 2-0 down to United, again, albeit with um, a really good finish from Martial and then a, a penalty. But um, And then all of a sudden, it looked like Marco Silva was just going, all right, then, lads, come on, we can start playing now because it doesn't matter, we're 2-0 down. And it's like, really, you should be like that at 0-0 because United aren't in the best form. And hmm. if you get them, get the crowd on their back in the first 25 minutes, have a couple of shots, um, really sort of take the game to United a bit like Leicester did with Arsenal the other week, you do get like the moaners and groaners. And all of a sudden you think, OK, we can get a point or a win out of this. And I don't think they have the sort of the mental fortitude at the minute. I think Marcus Silva's sending, sending them a bit short in terms of like they're just sort of like not maybe believing that they can actually win before they start. And if they get themselves into a winning position, they'll they'll panic and be like, oh, no, we're 1-0 up at, away at Man City. What do we do? Uh, moving on, Chelsea beat Burnley 4-0. Ross Barkley's channeling his inner Frank Lampard in that, not that he's as good as Frank Lampard, but he's the first English player for Chelsea to score in three consecutive Premier League games since Super Frank in 2013. Yeah, he's actually looking really good. And it's, I mean, it's obviously had like a really shit season last year. And everyone had forgotten that Chelsea had actually signed him. But, um, you know, he's scoring goals, which is exactly what we need because we don't have any, the only place the goals are coming from this season is Hazard. And like what's, what was, I'm not quite comfortable comparing it to Frank Lampard. But what was great about Frank was that he scored so many goals from midfield so that even if, you know, your striker's not playing well. You're not getting goals from anywhere else. You've got goals coming from midfield as well. And Ross Barkley's doing that. We don't have that with Kante and Jorginho. But that left centre midfield, we need someone to score goals from. Barkley's doing it, and he's doing it well at the moment. I really hope he continues. Um, meanwhile, Kovacic, who we've got on loan from Real Madrid, is playing superbly, but can't finish for shit. Um, and every time he tries to shoot, it literally goes more than a goal's width away from the goal. Um then we've got the issue of Loftus-Cheeks now started playing really well as well. He's 
scored a hat-trick in the Europa League uh, midweek, scored in the 92nd minute uh, at the weekend. Sorry, when you were going to say, you said about Ross Barkley doing something like the first time since Frank Lampard, I thought you were going to say, marry an old one-show presenter. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was going to be, oh, he's got married to Adrian Charles. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that would definitely make desperate for that. Like, I knew it was going to be something about football, but I was like, "Please be at the marriage." <laughs> oh, I'll try and find one of those elusive stats for you for next week. Uh, moving on, Watford beat Huddersfield three 0 I actually went to this game, and honestly, all three goals were really, really good. Huddersfield did give it a good go. Um, they hit the bar actually just after Watford scored, but all three goals. Absolutely class and good run of form for Watford now, getting back to where they were before that first international break. Uh, Leicester-West Ham, which was, of course, unfortunately marred by events that happened afterwards, but a pretty decent game. And I'm sure someone's going to be very happy about Mark Noble costing the Hammers a win. He definitely didn't do the most running in that match of all season, did he? What a, what a shit show. <laughs> <laughs> you're 1-0 up, you're away, you're at a, a, a team. That is notoriously has sort of like a, a decent home record or, or sort of prides itself on being quite good at home. You go one nil up, West Ham would good value for it as well. watch it on Saturday night. Leicester looked a bit sort of like uh, toothless in the first half, and all of a sudden, you just it's in the first half as well, it's unforgivable. And my favorite thing is when people get uh, red carded for like an over the ball tackle. Excuse me. Um, when people get red carded for an over the ball tackle um, or something when they go in like sort of uh, two feet, like it's just a look of shock when they get sent off, even though they know the rules. And, and <laughs> was like stomping around going, Oh, I can't believe that. Lots like, sort of mouthing off at the ref. And it's like, mate, you've nearly just, you've took him like shin pad high. And it's just definitely a red card. And, and like I say, it's, um, it's just one of those things, it, it's just quite, it ended up costing him two points in the end. Um, even though they scored really late towards the end, it was a deflected goal. Like, it's it's just one of those things like the the stupidity of it. A bit like with Lloris the other day with uh, PSV the PSV game. Like you come out, you get red card in. It just you just you just cost your team, and and uh, it's just it's so frustrating. Especially like say getting a straight red card for that. If it's two yellow cards and you're doing it to like stop them and denying a clear goal scoring opportunity, you can sort of understand it. But in the 38th minute on a 50-50 tackle on the halfway line. Just, I would be having serious words if I was Pellegrini. I have, I have two opinions on this one. Uh, the first was that I was actually driving back from somewhere with Alan in the car, and Alan was watching it and just, just shouting at everything. But, but he, he agreed it was a red card because as soon as it went in, he just went, "Oh no!" <laughs> and the second one is that I found the stat: Mark Noble is now West Ham's all-time most red-carded player of all time with five red cards. Behind Julian Dix, really? It's not Julian Dix. Really? Oh, Steve, Steve, Lo- Steve Lomas was on four. As well, also in that case. Christ, <laughs> right, dodgy blokes in the past. Yeah, that game ended 1-1 in the end. Balbuena involved in both goals. Elsewhere, Bournemouth beat Fulham 3-0. Fulham continue just shipping goals for fun. They've conceded the most this year in the Premier League with 28 Bournemouth carry on going. Do you think they can challenge for the Europa League places? I don't know. They're certainly pushing that way, aren't they? Um, Callum Wilson's just scoring for fun. They've got a genuinely really good squad. They're defending well. Uh, they can score. You know, if it all carries on like this, they're definitely in with a shout. Um, because, you know, they, they've just, they can play through 
all these sort of lower than teams, they're not sort of having issues caused by them. So, you know, they're doing really well. Yeah, really, really good. And most likely Tom will have more of an insight on this next week. But I think they could be up there if they carry on going the way they're going. Eddie Howe doing a very good job indeed. Fulham, we've talked a lot about them over the the pod, so I'm not going to go too in detail. You know what their issues are. They concede a lot of goals. Just want to pick up absolute terrible, terrible pass. Dennis Adoy in defence to get McDonald sent off. Just the worst pass I've seen in a long time. And if, if Fulham are going to play themselves into those sort of situations, they are not going to last long in the Premier League. No, they, they are gen- genuine threat of uh, relegation, which will, as we talked about, like end up bankrupting the club. So they need to turn something around fast. Yes, they do indeed. Um, on to the final game, Liverpool-Cardiff. You know what? 4-1 seems like job done. Liverpool just were at the races and Cardiff weren't. One or two better decisions from Cardiff, and I think that scoreline would be very different. Cardiff have generally been playing much better football over the past few weeks. Um, been playing quicker and I think in that match um, as was said in the sort of press interviews afterwards like they, they, you know the, the scoreline isn't great for them but if they'd just taken that uh, their second like the opportunity for a second goal when it was uh, what 2-1 Liverpool I think you know they could have turned it around and held it up um, and generally got a result out of it but um, it's looking promising for Cardinal even if they are getting sort of a bit battered uh, but then that's sort of the standard result that everyone would have been expecting when you come up against Salah who's now scoring goals again in that, uh, and Marnie and Firmino that Liverpool side who generally do look really good Ending the Premier League roundup of the week is possibly my favourite stat which came from the Liverpool-Cardiff game and that was Cardiff completed 120 passes during that game that was nine more than Wijnaldum managed <laughs> So significantly less than what Cardiff Blues rugby team would have managed at the weekend as well, <laughs> which is great. Oh, that is that is absolutely wonderful. Right, so that brings an end to the Premier League roundup for this week. Before we bring this pod to a close, we of course finish it with our talking points from the week's football. Anyone have anything they want to talk about? Yes, I, I do have one, Danny. Um, if you again, like I said earlier, I mentioned it briefly. Um, watching the football league highlights. Yesterday night, um, unfortunate young man who plays for Derby at the minute, Jaden Boggle, is mm. really come into the team. Played really, really well. Looks, looks really comfortable. Probably will play tomorrow night at Stamford Bridge. But he absolutely sliced one into his own net on the midweek when they were one 0 up. Derby were one 0 up away at Middlesbrough, and it was going to be a really, they absolutely dominated. Um, absolutely dominated Middlesbrough like they had uh, Mason Mount had good chances Harry Wilson came really close Randolph made some fantastic saves and it was like the live game on early on Saturday uh, lunchtime and then it got to like the 88th minute and unfortunately this cross just comes in and the, the old boy he just he must he's obviously got big plans for clearing the ball and he just ends up slicing it into the bottom corner and I felt so sorry for him <laughs> just like one of those things like, like you're looking for a really good result away from home and it's just like one of those things just like you'd maybe just take your Oh, off the ball for two seconds and it's game over but it was one of those like, like own goal like it'll be shown again multiple times it's really good oh I've just watched it he proper shins <laughs> it as well it's so unfortunate like I say he's a young lad like I say he's just starting out and I'm sure he'll have a, a very flourish he'll have a flourish career and he'll probably play um, at a high level maybe if he carries on the way he's starting because he's like I say he's really assured in that derby derby team under Frank Lampard but it was just like so unfortunate <laughs> 
Oh, that is. I've just what he watches it all the way onto his shin and into the bottom corner. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, he watches it all the way. Thinks I'm going to do. I'm going to keep a clean sheet today. Get the uh, two hundred and fifty quid bonus in the back pocket. And then the um, the old chaos theory approaches the back of his arm. <laughs> thinks you know what? <laughs> Let's spice up this one nil win. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Jane Bogle. Poor Jane Bogle. Yeah, go for um, it. Yeah, we had the first La Classico in a very long time that didn't have Ronaldo or Messi in it. Um, because obviously Messi was injured and Ronaldo's left. Um, and Barcelona put five past Madrid, which is great because Courtois was in goal and he suffered and it's brilliant. Um, <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure he's well gutted sitting in Spain when it's 25 degrees right now rather than in West London. <laughs> he's got his kids there, so it's okay. Um <laughs> but oh it's so funny uh, but Barcelona just didn't look like they missed Messi at all but um, of course like he's now gone so that was they'll probably just blame it on him yeah Lopetegui gone from Real Madrid most likely Conte apparently <laughs> is going to take over <laughs> or Big Sam Allardyce if you listen to this pod regularly <laughs> here he is finally got <laughs> a big job here he is uh, so a couple of ones that I had uh, I saw on Twitter somebody posted he was at the Fulham game and in the crowd, the guy next to him, just as Fulham conceded their third goal, just took out his phone, went onto the app that controls the heating in his kitchen and just slowly turned the thermostat up. Which it's the most it's the most uh, dads at a sports day you will ever get in the room. <laughs> People, I always just imagine people just turn up with like um, freshly cut up apples and potato salad for, for their snacks at half time. One for them, we'll take the kids, it'll be a good day out. <laughs> the only reason we're here is because Centre Parks was fully booked. <laughs> uh, and my last one was I will post it on Twitter because my words won't do it justice, but a game in the Saudi league. They're one of the managers of one of the clubs. It was like a 97th minute. Um, the referee runs over to VAR to treat uh, to have a look at a penalty decision. The manager of the opposing club who is getting the penalty given against them runs up to him and full-on shouts in his face. Like properly, <laughs> properly, full-on, full-on shouts at him to the point that he faints from, from shouting too much. <laughs> <laughs> You're making this up. This is not true. I will post it on the Twitter if you want to have a look. Game time underscore pod. Have a look at this. And and the best bit about it is, so he sits down on the floor, he starts having a drink of water, and someone gets like a like a jar of honey and just and just <laughs> and just like wa- just like wafts it under his nose. <laughs> Since when was Winnie the Pooh allowed a managerial position? <laughs> I will, I will post the video on there. Um, it, it meant that essentially that VAR decision gave them the goal. Um, it wasn't a penalty, sorry. It was a goal decision that they got and they lost the game because of it. I will post it on our Twitter. It's absolutely brilliant. Big. Wow. Such a like a 13th century remedy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, as if you just have that on the side of a pitch with you as well. What? What a prepared backroom staff. Right, that brings us to the end of our Premier League review episode. Guys, as always, it's been emotional. <laughs> uh, tears have been shed. <laughs> yes, they have indeed. Um, we will be back this week with a special Game Time Extra episode. 
So keep your eyes peeled on all of our social medias. GameTime underscore pod on Twitter if you want to follow us on there. We will be back next week, most probably, us three again, for another Premier League review episode. We'll mix and match between us, as always. Guys, have a good week, whatever you get up to. Cheers. And you, mate. And we'll be back on Thursday. Until then, see you later.